0: Um, had a friend who wasn't so much actually your friend, but was trying to like get stuff from you because uh, you were uh, someone who had good things. Uh, maybe you were that type of person who, who said, I wonder how I would be able to, in fact, uh, take from this other individual because they have good things that I want. Well, I had a friend once who would come over to my house when I was growing up, but he wasn't so much uh, as my friend as he was wanting the benefits of my friendship. You see, uh, my mom would buy a particular kind of granola bar, and she would put it in my lunchbox. It was one of those ones that had like berries and chocolate in it. It was pretty good. And at first, when Matt started coming over, uh, I thought Matt wanted to actually be my friend, even though he was a couple years older than me. Right? Like that's pretty cool, hanging with the older guy. Uh, and then uh, we no longer—he no longer wanted us to hang out at his house. Then it became we only want to hang out at my house. And then he started to ask every time when we got to my house if I had any granola bars. <laughs> And then he eventually just stopped asking and would just go and start grabbing the granola bars. And then he only wanted to hang out with me if I had a granola bar for him. Like it was almost like, hey, here's the payment for my friendship. You could could see how on the outside it would appear like he was my friend. We spent time together. But you can also see how in a real way, he was not actually my friend. He liked the benefits that came with being my friend, Uh, the chocolate and berry granola bar. Would we ever do that with Jesus? Would people ever follow Jesus for the wrong reasons? Would we ever do that? Well, I think John 6 has a lot to say about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we have been uh, going through the Gospel of John. We started last fall, and we picked it back up this fall. And, and we're in the middle of John chapter 6. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. He just uh, met his disciples in the middle of the storm on the sea, and he safely got them to the other side. And now it's the next day. And, and we're going to look at verse 22, verses 22 through 40. And we're going to see what it means as John is showing us who Jesus is and why we should believe in him and follow him. But before we get too deep into that, I want to remind us of the verse of the series that we are all diligently memorizing together because it's not enough to just be familiar with God's word. We want to be able to bring it to mind when we don't have a Bible to fumble through and look for that verse when we need encouragement. But verses that are going to help us in the everyday life, that's what our verse of the series is about. And so that's what we're going to be working on. Let's quote it together. This is John 6, verse 40. It should be on the screens up there. And if not, it's inside your bulletin. And if you don't need it, you're just that far ahead. So here's what John 6, 40 says. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. All right, let me pray for our time in God's word. Father, we pray that we would not labor for food that perishes, but that we would look for food that endures to eternal life, that we cannot earn, that we cannot steal, but that Jesus gives us. Oh, Father, help us with that food this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea of where we are headed this morning. Uh, and even if it's not on the screens, that is okay. Uh, you'll just have to track with me extra well. And I'll let you know what's happening, okay? So here's the big idea that if nothing else, uh, if you take a call, if something happens, you have to step out. Here's what we want to be true of our lives as a result of looking at John 6, 340 through 40. Here's the big idea this morning. Do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Do not labor for the wrong food. Labor for the eternal food that's given by Jesus. That's, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at this really in just two big chunks. The mist sign and the heavenly bread. So that's the outline, that's the structure. Let me read our word for, for God's word for us this morning. Verses 22 to 29, as we start off, as we look at the mist sign, here's what John writes. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Let's stop right there for a moment. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. His disciples have gone across the sea. Jesus met them in the middle of the storm, brought them safely to the other side. And now the big crowd didn't see Jesus get into the boat. They're confused. Other boats came in that morning from fishing at night. They heard about this amazing miracle of food multiplying, and they took this crowd across the sea to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And at some level, it looks like the people are doing a good thing. They are looking for Jesus in verse 24. In fact, they get on other boats to go look for him. And even though, as we take a step back in John chapters 5 to 7, we see this, this big shift that's happening from reservation and hesitation about Jesus to outright and sometimes official uh, a proposition to him, here in our passage, they're not outwardly rejecting Jesus. They're looking for him. And the people in our passage this morning are at least on the surface level interested in Jesus. This seems good, right? Jesus wasn't hiding from the crowd. We know this because the end of the section in John chapter 6, verse 59 says this, Jesus said these things which is included in our dialogue this morning, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. He wasn't hiding in a cave. He wasn't hiding under a rock. He was teaching in the synagogue. And they found him and wondered how Jesus got there. Notice when they ask him in verse 25, clearly that question is begging to be asked. Jesus, how did you get there? But Jesus doesn't answer their question. It looks like they're interested in following Jesus, but Jesus isn't fooled. Look what he says in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Boy, he doesn't mess around. He goes straight to the heart motives. And he says, you want your bellies filled. I'm just a cheap parlor trick for you. You're just hungry again because it's the next day. Your, your body has, has digested the food and you just want some more. He says that they're following him for all the wrong reasons. They completely miss the point. Jesus describes his miracles here as something important, as signs in verse 26. The miracles are pointing to a greater reality of a greater kingdom that has come. But the people in our passage are missing the signs. It's like when you're driving on the highway and you see a sign for McDonald's up ahead and you're like, oh man, my kids are hungry. So you stop at the sign, make all the kids get out of the van. It's cold outside. It's 45 degrees. And you guys, hey guys, we're here. Isn't this place great? No, the sign says turn ahead five miles up the road. The sign is telling you that, that the reality of McDonald's is up ahead. See, the problem is that this crowd, this is your first blank, the, this crowd experienced the miracle, but they didn't see the sign. The bread was a sign to a much deeper spiritually reality. Oh, let us not miss The signs of Jesus pointing to who he is. Oh, how sad if we experience the power of God but miss that we are supposed to come to him in faith. Jesus clarifies what their priorities should be in in verse 27. Jesus describes both food that goes bad and food that lasts forever forever. The bread and fish given by God in the feeding of the 5,000 was an example of food that perishes. Notice that they were hungry again. They still needed more. There are things that give the impression that they will last forever, but they just don't last. Right? We know what's coming up next month. After a big Thanksgiving meal, you think you can never eat another bite. You loosen your belt a notch, or five, and, but we know it doesn't last. The problem is that we still always have room for that pumpkin pie. The problem wasn't the, the, with the bread that Jesus multiplied. It, it's that it wasn't ultimate. It was temporary. Jesus is making them aware that there are things that are temporary and things that are eternal, and the things that are eternal should have a higher priority in our lives because they're not temporary. When we make temporary things ultimate things, we set our hope on things that don't last. When we go to Jesus, not for Jesus, but for the things that we think Jesus will get us, then we are putting temporary things in places that only ultimate things should go. Whether it's going to Jesus for food, like our passage, or whether it's going to Jesus for money and fame, like some TV preachers, or going to Jesus because you think that it will help you get position in this life. Uh, We saw that earlier in John chapter 6. Going to Jesus for other things is just food that will ultimately perish. How ironic of the phrase today that's often used. If you're under the if you're over the age of 30, you don't understand. But if you're under the age of 30, you know the phrase, let's get this bread. And what does that mean? Let's make that money. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're like, how did I find myself at Friendship Baptist Church this morning? I don't actually think it's by accident. I think it's exactly where you should be this morning. And I wonder what you think about all this. What bread do you live for? We're so glad you're here today. But I want you to examine your heart this morning. Do you see your life as just chasing one dream after another? What happens if it fails? Consider the fact that Jesus has a call for people where his dreams never fail, and true life is found in him. Would that change your dreams? Would that change the way uh, and what you go after in this life? Jesus promises that coming to him in faith is always the right step. Maybe you're a Christian here today, but you need to be reminded that Jesus isn't here to deliver our dreams on a silver platter. I fear too often we're excited about King Jesus because we see him as the best delivery system for our dreams. He's nothing more than a two-day shipping on Amazon. But What happens when you do not get what you think you want when you come to Jesus? What happens when you don't become super wealthy like the TV preacher said that you would? What happens when you've been coming to church for 30 years because your spouse has been nagging you to do it but then she dies? What happens when you think Jesus will bring you wealth so you start a business and then it fails? Right? It might look like we're coming to Jesus but we're really just using Jesus as a delivery system for trying to live our own dreams. How do you know if you're pursuing Jesus or your own dreams? Do your lips quickly go from praising God to grumbling when things get hard? Everyone has dreamt of the perfect child or the perfect friend or the perfect church with the perfect pastor. We dream of the perfect house with each bill being easily paid. But our lives are so much more than a, than a smile and, and romantic weekends with our spouse. There's so much more than just all a life of ease of paying bills. Life is more than just well-mannered children and a budget that works out perfectly. See, God is after one thing in our lives, and it's genuine faith. And so instead of coming to Jesus for the benefits that come with Jesus, we're called to go to Jesus because we need him. We need to get to the point where instead of saying, God, why me when this happens in our lives, we can say, God, I need you and I want more of your salvation. So to get to the root of our heart issue, we need to begin asking the question, whose dream am I trying to live? Whose dream are you really trying to pursue? God does and often calls us to things that we don't think we're ready for or that we can't handle. And we either walk by faith trusting him, or we shy away from following him. We need to know and believe that life is not found in physical bread, but in Jesus. The people in our passage today were excited to follow the king, but for all the wrong reasons. We need to see that physical bread is not permanent. And not only is it not permanent, it's not the only bread. Jesus says it another way. Don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. We need to see that true life is not defined by the amount of physical bread that you possess, but in the kingdom life that you live. Jesus says this another way. There is better bread. There is food that endures to eternal life. It isn't temporary. It isn't expensive. You just can't earn it. Look at verse 27 with me in our passage. He says this, For the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So it's given by Jesus. It endures forever for eternity. Jesus even has the Father's stamp of approval. It comes from Jesus in conjunction with the Father. And this eternal food is only found in one place, in Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus' signs, or his miracles, are signs that point us to who gives eternal life. Naturally, the people want to know what to do for this eternal work of God. Here it is, verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Here's your next fill in the blank. To believe is the work that we are called to do. Not speaking in tongues, not doing good works to perform, to make it into heaven, but Belief, trusting, reliance on Jesus. What exactly are we supposed to believe? Well, this gets to the red-hot core center of Christianity. This is not a, a sideways element. It is the core reason why we are even here this morning and why we exist. It's called the gospel. God has created the world and everything in it. He's designed us as part of his creation who are made in his image. We were designed to know him, but instead we've rebelled against him. We have not wanted God's authority. We've not wanted to share life with God. We didn't want his kingship, and so we wanted to be kings of our own destiny. And so we rebelled against God. And the Bible calls that rebellion sin and the result of our rebellion against God is sin, death and er, of sin is death and judgment. And yet God in his infinite love, in his mercy, instead of just dropping a bomb on the earth and saying forget it I'm done with you, instead in his infinite love, according to his great mercy, he sent Jesus down to earth to live a perfect life, not in rebellion against God. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life and then to step in our place as our substitute on the cross so that the punishment that we have gained and earned for our rebellion, it's paid for by Jesus. Not partially, not a down payment, not interest only, fully, finally, finally, And forever, completely paid for. So that all who come to Him in faith will find forgiveness, will find adoption into the family of God, will find restoration with God. And we are given His Spirit to then share about the good news of Jesus. And so we must believe that Jesus is the sent one from heaven that he has lived a perfect life, that he has died a sinner's death, not because he's done wrong, but because we have. And Jesus has taken our full punishment. And he has died for our sins. And then on the third day, has defeated sin and death and has been raised for our justification. We must believe that Jesus is the one sent from God who promises to rescue and redeem. So, brothers and sisters, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Let's look at this next part, verses 30 through 40, this heavenly bread. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm, I'm coaching Ella's soccer team this fall. Today, Lord willing, and to his glory, it is the last day of soccer season. And I tell you what, when they throw in the ball, I fear for the worst. It doesn't matter if I tell them ten times, throw the ball down the line. Don't throw it to the center. Throw it down the line. I'll give you one guess what they do every single time. You guessed it. They throw it to the center. It was so bad that a couple games ago, after it happened again, the player who threw it in to the center, that player's parent said to me, Coach Brian, if I were to throw in the ball, I'd throw it down the line. I don't know what's wrong with my kid. <laughs> Sometimes it just takes a while to get it, right? Well, that seems to be happening in our passage in verse 30. Right after they've eaten their fill and are following Jesus to get more food, by the way, which they have no idea how he's multiplying just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Now they're asking what kind of signs Jesus will perform to show what he's talking about. Interestingly enough, though, it's not the first time they've asked that question. Back in John chapter 2, when Jesus was clearing out the temple because it had become a marketplace for profit and it was not the house of prayer like it was supposed to be, people asked Jesus the same question that they ask in verse 30. In John chapter 2 verse 18, it says this, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will ye raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is a big deal. Jesus in his ministry, did major signs, but none was more significant than dying on the cross for our sins and then being raised from the dead on the third day. All the signs point to Jesus' ultimate sign, his resurrection. See, Christianity is not just about the death of Jesus. It is also about his resurrection. If all we have is that Jesus died, That's not hopeful unless he also rose. It's why we don't leave Jesus on the cross, because he isn't there. He is risen. That's the ultimate sign. All these other signs lead up to it, including this sign that Jesus is referring to. So in Exodus 16, our, our scripture reading this morning uh, that's where the Jews were referring in verse 31 that these signs of Yahweh was with Israel. The sign that Yahweh, the God of Israel, was with Moses and with Israel in the wilderness was Moses would pray to God and God would provide for the people of Israel. It was water, it was manna, it was quail. Each of these were signs that God was with them. And with the signs was supposed to bring belief. Belief. That's why they say in verse 30 of our passage, what signs do you perform that we may believe? And of all the things they could bring up, the people mentioned bread in the wilderness being from Moses. Never mind that Jesus literally gave them bread and fish on the mountainside. Boy, what a reality that people can be around Jesus and miss. They were not only missing Jesus' signs, they also missed the source of provision from the wilderness days. It wasn't Moses who provided water and bread and quail. It was God all along. And Jesus clarifies that in verse 32. And what Jesus is doing, he's redefining where blessings come from. They're not from Moses, but from God in heaven who gave Israel bread. The provision by God in Israel in the wilderness phase was still pointing to something greater and to someone greater. After all, everyone who ate the manna in the wilderness still died. They may have eaten it for 40 years, but they all still died. They still needed more. There is greater bread still, and Jesus calls it the true bread from heaven. What is the true bread sent from heaven? We find out it's not even a what, it's a who. The bread of God is not bread at all, it's a person. Here's your blank, first blank for the second point. Too often we look for what's from God instead of looking for the who. What does God want me to do next? What does God want me to do in my life in the next phase? When we should be asking, who is God calling me to follow? And am I doing that? We will never get the what from God if we aren't focused on the who that God has already given us. Jesus isn't like the iTunes agreement that you have to sign in order to get what you want. Jesus is the key himself, the treasure of eternal life that we need. Look at verse 33 with me. John writes, uh, for Jesus is saying, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The eternal heavenly bread must be given and it cannot be earned. And it is he who has come from heaven. It is he who gives life. The very thing that the manna couldn't provide. Parents, if, if there was ever a prayer for you to pray for your children... Pray that their hearts would say what the people say in verse 34 here. Sir, give us this bread always. Not only is Jesus the source for the bread that endures to eternal life, he is in fact himself the life. We are called to go to Jesus for Jesus, who is the bread of life. In John's gospel, John highlights seven statements that that Jesus makes in reference to himself that helps us to understand who Jesus is as the Messiah and links him back to the Old Testament revelation of who God is in Exodus. And this is the first one, that Jesus is the bread of life. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying he is literally bread. That's going to matter next week. He did not transform into bread. He's teaching in the synagogue. Jesus is taking the physical and pointing us to the spiritual. Jesus, as the bread of life, is satisfying, saying that we don't need something else or someone else. He is who we need. And that makes all the more sad when we find ourselves hungry for something else. And we go after it, only quickly to find that it does not satisfy. Friends, the call from God is to come to Jesus, to eat and find life. Remember our call to worship this morning from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Is the life that you desire simply one where you are king and sit on your own throne? Is the bread that you long for physical bread of this world? Christian, we have better bread. We have eternal bread to live for. Christian, we have better goals to be a part of. And these better goals are where King Jesus sits on his throne and we are delighting in him. When we look at our lives and realize that too often we look for the wrong bread, that we too often are not hungering and for thirsting for righteousness but that we're hungering and thirsting for things that are temporary Jesus gives us a wonderful perspective of the work of God here in our passage in verse 37 we have a promise that those who come to Jesus aren't doing so because they're simply smarter or more intellectual or more spiritually minded than others what a pillow to rest our heads on at night when we blow it, God's love wasn't based on our performance in the first place. What a great promise to hear in verse 37 that those who come to Jesus, he will never cast out. He will never kick out. He'll never ghost you. He will never abandon you. Right? If you've ever been ghosted by someone, if you've ever been kicked out of your house, if you've ever been abandoned or thrown out, this is not What Jesus does for those who come to him. Here's your next fill in the blank. Preservation isn't just the mercy of Jesus. It is the wonderful plan of the Father. In verse 38, Jesus says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What grace-filled pillows to sleep on at night, knowing that this is not temporary security, it's an eternal one. What grace-filled assurance as we enter our work week and we wonder how are we going to get through those parent meetings and what are we going to do with this client coming up and what are we going to do when we can't pay the bills and we can't make payroll? what grace-filled assurance we have from Jesus. Jesus will lose none of us, brothers and sisters. When you falter and misstep, you will not be lost. You will not be rejected. When others have thrown you out and cast you aside and ghosted you and rejected you, when we go to Jesus, his promise is better. There's a chain of events that sing a sweet song to our hearts and mind. And verse 40 is the chorus. Everyone who looks to Jesus, God the Son, who has who was sent from heaven, everyone who looks to Him in trust and belief will be given eternal life. And those who have eternal life, no matter their circumstances, will, by the plan of the Father and the work of Jesus the Son, We will be raised with Jesus on the last day. How there's a somber warning in verse 36. Some saw Jesus, saw his signs, and yet still didn't believe. Which means, it is possible to be around Jesus, or to be around the work of Jesus, and miss him but the sweet promise is if you go to Jesus for Jesus who is the bread of life he will give you eternal life you will be his sheep and he promises never to lose you on that last day he mentions in verse 40 which is when Jesus returns and all of God's people will be with God in perfect covenant forever. Believer, you will be there too. How? Jesus is not only the bread of life. We find out later in the Gospel of John, he's also the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep securing us by His blood, that we are counted with Him. Oh, what a sweet melody of the loving, comforting promises of God that is. Brothers and sisters, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give us. Jesus is the bread of life. Let's go to Him For him. And labor for the food that endures to eternal life. And this is the work of God that we should be doing. That we should believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we so easily hear the words in the Gospels that says, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And Father, we pray that very thing. That we, seeing Jesus as the bread of life, who gives life, who gives eternal life, Father, we pray that we would come to him not with what we bring in our hands, but simply asking for the work that Jesus does. Father, help us to not be around the work of Jesus, only to miss Jesus. Help us not to go to Jesus because of the other things we think we can get out of him. Father, help us to see that we need Jesus. And you invite us to come. Everyone who is thirsty, to drink. And even if we have no money, to come and buy without price so that we can be part of the family of God. Oh, Father, work in us everything that is pleasing. Father, help us to to see Jesus and to come to him, to believe in him for eternal life. We pray this in Jesus's name. Amen.